Welcome back to The Modern Industrialist, the podcast where we talk about accelerating transformation in the Industry 4.0 era. Our goal with this series is to help spur adoption of technologies that are critical to industrial innovation by talking about the current trends and challenges that we're seeing in the space. My name is Jason Heeman. I'm the vertical lead for Industry 4.0 and IoT at TXI. Today, my co-host Patrick Turley and I interview Lauren Barrera-Rennie and David Like of Tangler Wrangler. Tangler Wrangler is a startup working on manufacturing an accessory for EV owners that solves the problem of managing and stowing their mobile charging cable. I first met Lauren and David this past summer at a networking event in Chicago, specifically targeting entrepreneurs innovating in the manufacturing space. I found the story of how they came together to work in this business fascinating, and I thought that the way that they've used new manufacturing techniques to go through their prototyping process, particularly interesting, and I wanted to share it with our audience. I have to mention, in the course of the interview, I had some kind of impossible mental block with the name of their company. See if you can count how many times I reversed the words of their name before I finally corrected myself and said Tangler Wrangler correctly. Turley will be thrilled if you mock me mercilessly in the comments section, so please go right ahead. Speaking of Turley, after the interview with David and Lauren, he and I do a quick wrap-up and share our regular segment, What Did We Ask Generative AI This Week? Our hope is to bring more interesting entrepreneurs, innovators, and thought leaders onto this podcast. And I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to introduce you to these very impressive individuals. I hope you enjoy our interview with the team from Tangler Wrangler. I'm very excited to welcome both David and Lauren. David and Lauren, won't you both introduce yourselves to the audience? Hi, uh, my name is David Like. I am the president and chief engineer at Tangler Wrangler. Hi, my name is Lauren. I'm the co-founder and COO at Tangler Wrangler. I cannot, yeah, I can't get enough of it. Like I'm gonna say Tangler Wrangler a hundred times in this episode. <laughs> Everyone just hold on, it's gonna happen. Uh, hold on to your wrangles. <laughs> maybe y'all could just uh, start by telling us that the story of the name and and kind of kind of orienting us a little bit. Absolutely. So the Tangler Wrangler, I guess just for some background in the product, is a special cord wrap for electric vehicles, mobile charging cables. So think the cord that comes with the car, um, you can plug into any old outlet anywhere. Um, it's like a 20 foot garden hose and it's just a pain as anyone who's ever put headphones into their pocket knows. This thing immediately gets tangled. It's no fun to schlep around. So we are aiming to solve that problem with our product. And the name sort of came to be, we had an early prototype um, and I was showing it to some of my friends back at home. I'm from a tiny town in Wisconsin. And someone pointed at it and she went, that there's the Tangler Wrangler. And the name has sort of stuck ever since. Yeah, and now we have the cool polos to prove it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Cemented. Cemented. I have to imagine the, the trademark mark search for Wrangler Tangler was quite an adventure of itself also. It's been a journey. So there is a comb <laughs> on Amazon that's called a Tangle Wrangle. And they lost their trademark like a while ago, like 30 years ago. So as far as I know, um, I'm not a lawyer yet, but we're in the clear <laughs> to file for a trademark. I think it'd be great for the audience just to understand a bit about each of your backgrounds uh, and how you kind of came to work together on this on this project. Yeah, totally. I'll start with mine. Um, I'm from, first we'll start from, I'm from Los Angeles, California. I went to Cal Poly for biomedical engineering. 
And then I just completed the esteemed master's program at the University of Notre Dame alongside David. And I am an aspiring lawyer. So I am applying to law school this year and hoping to do intellectual property law, but we'll see, right? <laughs> Best of luck. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. And well, Lauren certainly got everything it takes to be a lawyer. I've been seeing her study and just even in meetings when we're talking with talking with other lawyers, she knows her stuff and it's fun to watch her in action. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> It's amazing. David, what's your background exactly? Yeah. So as I said, I'm from a tiny town in Wisconsin. Um, and I originally started out in IT, um, fixing computers and offering consulting in high school. Um, but once I got to college, decided it was best to switch into mechanical engineering. So that's what my degree is in. Um, and shortly after graduating, I started the esteem program with Lauren, which is all about entrepreneurship for people with STEM backgrounds. Um, and so just graduated with her. And while we were in that program together, sort of how Tangler Wrangler got started um, was being in that entrepreneurial ecosystem around people and resources to sort of bring a physical product to fruition. Yeah, I'm not exactly a sleuth, but it seemed that the uh, the common element in your two stories that likely brought you together was this graduate program at Notre Dame. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the program, just broadly, uh, what attracted you to it and how it ultimately brought you two together to work on this endeavor? Well, uh, the Esteem Master's Program is an 11-month program uh, hosted at the IDEA Center at the University of Notre Dame. It aims to get students with the STEM background to business ventures and entrepreneurship. I think personally for me, I really had no idea what was going on at first. <laughs> I thought I wanted a master's in financial engineering. And once I got in, I was just thrown into all these business opportunities, uh, especially a pitch competition that the university holds called the McCloskey Pitch Competition. Um, it goes all year long and Tangler Wrangler was in it and ended up being semifinalist. So it ended up being really the catalyst for us to get going and the encouragement we needed. Yeah, and I, I was drawn kind of for the sim similar reasons. I mean, having the engineering background, but I didn't know a ton about the business side of things. And I guess just such a tiny part of being an engineer is the number the number crunching and some of the problem solving. There's You're also interacting with so many different people. You need to be understand what your customers are asking for, um, sort of engineering with a purpose. And so I wanted to kind of round myself there. And that was what drawn me to the program in the first place. But very quickly, I it's almost like a pressure cooker. It's very intense. And so um, you're forced to grow in all these different ways and try things that are out of your comfort zone, like starting a business um, or doing, like Lauren said, the McCloskey competition. But out of that, you learn so much, you meet so many interesting people and go on such interesting journeys at the same time. Talk to me a bit about how you, uh, how you came to the idea where, you know, amongst all of this other, you know, work that you're doing, How'd that, how'd that show up in your, in your life? And how did you, how did you have that inspired moment? Sure. So I guess we can kind of trace the founding back a little bit before esteem. So as I was wrapping up my um, engineering degree at Marquette, I was doing a project sort of studying electric vehicle charging in apartment settings. And so as part of that, I was surveying a lot of electric vehicle owners. I had just bought a EV myself. So I was living with cord struggles. I was talking to people who were living with cord struggles and thought there's gotta be a better way to solve this. 
So I kind of had the idea for this product or what it might look like. Um, some of the teammates at Marcat also had ideas and contributions as well. Um, but it wasn't until we got, Lauren and I got to Notre Dame, where um, in the place where the program is held, there's this massive prototyping space. And they've got like 3D printers the size of desks and like laser cutters that you can put an entire sheet of plywood on and all this other equipment. And of course, a super great staff that knows how to work all the machines and has seen everything and knows exactly what to do. Um, so I came in one day and was just sort of talking about the product. And they said, we can make that. Let's make the prototype. Let's do it right now. And so the next thing I know, we're only a couple of weeks into the program, but we have our very, very first prototype made just by being around the right people who had the energy and passion to get things going. I'm super interested in uh, how the the story of 3D printing, the curve of this is sort of like really, really in that moment where a lot of this is, a, is really arriving. Um, I mean, I, I told you at the beginning of this uh, off uh, before we, we started is I've got a 3D printer right behind me, right? I've been I've been mass producing these 3D printed rocks for board games and nerd stuff. <laughs> and it's and it's awesome, right? Like I, I just feel like that's uh that's so accessible to people. Um, but I think a lot of people uh still believe that this is pretty inaccessible to those who aren't deep tinkers or engineers. How was your experience? Uh, because I, I think that's it's changing, but how fast is the real question? Is like how is it? How is your experience using uh, those uh, those prototyping tools? Um, I, I know you had a lot of support, but talk to us about how, how that felt. Sure. Um, I guess we got started with wood actually as our first material. So we were laser cutting and then gluing the layers together to form the 3D, the 3D models. And it wasn't until we kind of got the design down, this was prototype five, that we finally made the jump into 3D printing um, where we were really needing to explore geometry beyond that you can do with laser cutting. So getting drafts and making the part more injection moldable. And so at that point, we were able to jump into 3D printing. And the part's pretty big. It's like 10 inches by 20 inches by probably eight inches tall. So bigger than most 3D printers um, that are out on the market or that most people have, uh, I guess, as hobbyists. But it was easy to, once we had the model, to just send it to the printer. Um, and the next thing you know, in a few days, we had our finished part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, although it's very, very expensive to 3D print a Tangler Wrangler, but luckily the guys at the Innovation Lab have been really integral in making sure we don't pay all that money. Um, but in the future, we are going to have to buy the molding and the tooling. So all those costs up front will eventually get us to the price point we want for pr producing these. Yeah. How long does it take you to produce uh, a, a Tangler Angler on a, on a 3D printer, you know, today? So to do a full-sized one is about a little more than two days. It's like 49 hours and some minutes. Um, so not all that long considering and a heck of a lot shorter than producing a tool and injection molding one. Um, so we've really got that time down and it's been super helpful for innovating and testing like part fit and stuff like that. There's even a point over the summer where we were trying to get the way the plug fits into the part just right. And so we'd actually just sectioned off in the model what we were going to 3D print, just this little feature. And those we were cranking out one every hour and a half. And then it would be a matter of tweaking the dimension a millimeter here or there, sending the next one to the printer. So to be able mm -hmm. to focus in on those features and do just a little bit at a time really sped up the process too. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, so our world, my world is, is mostly software and we have a really tight feedback loop often, right? Like I change the code and hit refresh. I mean, like it's bada bing, bada boom. Um, so, uh, but I think in, in manufacturing though, the world that you just described is, is light years ahead than, than what people previously experienced. Right. Describe the, like what you would have done if you didn't have access to these, uh, these types of, you know, what's the alternative, I suppose. Honestly, I don't know where we would be. Uh, it's was really, this was the catalyst or maybe modeling clay or some, something much less, much less high fidelity, just cause it's tough to, it's tough to know. Um, I think there's 3D printers in more places than people realize. Um, I mean, the lab at Notre Dame, the public does have a little bit of access to. So if there's, you're in someone in the community who has an idea and you want to see it made, you can come in there. And I think there's spaces like that sort of popping up all over the country. So if it weren't Notre Dame, we probably would have found a different space either in California or in Wisconsin um, that has some of these features, but I don't think it would have been to the extent or as quickly as we were able to do with the innovation. We've had very personalized help along the way, especially with the wooden prototypes. I remember when David was asking me to first join the team and it was this big round drum and he was like, okay, now what? (laughs) So getting it to where it is from that to now to having this like pill shape that's much easier to handle has been amazing. So really thanks to the university, we've gotten as far as we have. So the production of the prototypes and how quickly we will do that is certainly part of the process. But the other side of it is actually finding people to interact with it, getting their feedback. I think Turley and I would both love to hear a bit about what were some of the feedback points you got as you actually put this in the hands of people and had them interact with it and had that change your design process or change your approach over the course of, uh, of development. Yeah. Yes, real, real early on when we were making our first few prototypes, it was pretty apparent just testing them out with the cord, what was wrong. Like our first prototype, Lauren said, was huge. It was this big drum. It worked, but it sucked. Um, it didn't fit very well in the car. It was really heavy um, and it wasn't going to go anywhere. And so it was just showing it to a few people in the lab, taking them to look at it from a different angle because bringing it from the computer where it looked nice and small to real life where it was huge, um, it was pretty clear, hey, we can slim it down this way. We can change this geometry. So the first, I'd say three or four, um, were really refined just kind of in-house and in our tight little network. But once we got to prototype, wooden prototype five, I'd say, we slowly started to expand a bit beyond um, just the lab. So the Tangler Wrangler's designed for the Tesla mobile charging cord. Um, so we started out with other Tesla owners we knew, um, just getting their thoughts and people would say, hmm, I wish it had this feature or I wish you could hold this adapter here. Um, and slowly we started to integrate those features and have been using the network of Tesla owners sort of to our, to our advantage. Um, mm-hmm. And right now I'm back in Wisconsin and I've been, uh, had a great partnership with the Wisconsin Tesla Club, um, is full of almost 3,000 um, active people in their community. Um, and we just did a big pricing study with them. So we put out our, our pricing survey out on Facebook and we're getting feedback from strangers all excited to help, offering tips on pricing, tips on um, design, tips on just market readiness in general. So it's been great to have sort of this 
almost like a frat of excited people sharing this passion around their vehicles, um, ready to help us and support us as entrepreneurs too. Like I said, we, we often live in the software world. Tell me a bit more about how you're going to decide like where the cutoff point is, how to take the, the next steps. Like what, how do, how do you go from this sort of design process that you're, uh, you're working with to more mass production? Yeah, I would say we recently, quote unquote, hired a CFO, uh, Chief Financial Officer, and Bob has been very integral in making sure those financials are actually viable, um, running different types of analysis, basically to allow us to pick the best way to go from here, whether it's like traditional fundraising, a Kickstarter or other or licensing. Um, so because of the help that we've received from Bob, we've been able to really hash out like this idea. I think oftentimes people forget about the financials and sometimes that's the most important part, especially when it comes to a hard piece of plastic like ours. Um, so yes, uh, having a CFO has been integral. With physical products, I think it's easy to get caught in a feedback loop of refining, testing, refining, testing, and breaking out of that to say, okay, this is where we're at, we need to get this into the hands of people. So we've got a few demo units in people's hands. I actually just gave away two more this week. Um, so that's sort of been a breakout. We've been able to use the wooden ones as, uh, as sort of easy to produce candidates that we can sell. Um, but we're very close to the point of, we've got the manufacturing lined up. Now we need to figure out distribution, um, what's gonna make the, mess, make the most sense, who's the best partner for that. Um, it's kind of the last step in really getting the product out the door. Yeah, totally. Um, and these are complete strangers. Over the summer, David and I went around Notre Dame's campus and literally put notes on every single Tesla we saw. <laughs> and we're keeping track of which ones were actually responded. Uh, and from that, we actually were able to give a couple of prototypes out for people to use. So total complete strangers who apparently get love getting notes on their cars. <laughs> I love how you've just like leaned into community to try and get some footing for yourselves and, and help this idea come to fruition. As you're in the process now of thinking about, you know, sourcing, right? What are you learning about that process as you move from kind of prototype to considering mass production um, methods? Uh, what's been like a big learning or something like unexpected that you've come across as you've started to look at that next uh, hurdle in your process? Something that's been huge for me is just all of the steps and pieces that go in. I mean, it's easy for, I think for folks to say, oh, it's easy. You just make it and you sell it. But when it comes to actually producing tooling and producing how many units and figuring out how many can fit into a shipping container and getting it from where it's being made to where you're distributing it from. And then at that point, you have to package it. Is it already packaged? There's just so many little pieces that need to be figured out and all need to mesh in order to get the product out the door. So that's been a huge awakening. And one of the most fun parts also for me is learning about all these processes, getting to meet all these people that are experts in all these fields and just get everything set up. I think in the past, we, you know, what was commonly thought of as like just this giant players game is all the supply chain uh, work that's just turns out it is, it is exceptionally complicated and is the thing that tanks so many products. Uh, well, I hope that we're democratizing that a little bit and we're getting to the point where uh, someone can really just have an idea just like yours and, and bring it to market. And 
I do, I'm a avid Kickstarter backer. So on that, on that, just on that, in terms of that path, you get exposed to a lot of, uh, a a lot of the logistics uh, and the challenges that come in and making these physical products. Uh, So, but I think like having uh, logistics companies that can really, really handle the, the other side of things uh, is a, is a big deal so that you can focus on what you're good at, which is engineering high quality product. Um, I think that's the, that's, that's definitely an interesting part of the, of the near term story for you all. Absolutely. I guess another sort of eye opening thing for me, um, was sort of the cost difference between making things locally versus abroad. We originally started quoting out the tooling for, the Tangler Wrangler, and people were saying that it was either too big or that it was too complex, or I think we're hearing kind of one excuse after another, just looking around in our backyard in South Bend. Um, it was tough to find someone who could do it. And then we, one of our other comrades at the Esteem program was like, hey, who has a physical product and has been producing it, said, hey, I know these people um, in China. They've been super helpful. They've done a great job. Let me introduce you to them and see how that goes. And their quote was almost a full order of magnitude less um, tooling wise. And we've had no drama from them. Easy to understand why people are doing that now. And before I got involved, it was sort of obscure and I didn't fully capture what it meant, but it makes sense. And it's the difference between viability and not for us. So our hands are kind of forced in that sense. Yeah, definitely. I think that in that case, for us going outsourcing, they've been 10 times a, as nice and accessible than all the people we actually went to in person in this area. Not to completely knock the South Bend area, um, but just the heads above quality that we've received from this particular source has been amazing. And one we're going to keep going. Um, we're actually shipping out a Tangler Wrangler to them so they can actually see what the actual product looks like. Lauren, I'd be really curious, like as you've had your role uh, in Wrangler Dangler, how has that kind of um, spurred your interest in maybe going further with legal studies? Like where have you seen like an intersection of like your future um, interests and the role that you've had in the company uh, recently? Yeah, totally. I think being a part of Tangler Wrangler has actually allowed me to explore my passion in intellectual property law. Um, Everyone who's goes to law school is like, you have an engineering degree, you should do intellectual property. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. So actually having the hands-on experience with the trademark search of Tangler Wrangler and also David was able to file for a provisional patent. And now we're gearing up potentially if we don't get licensed to do a design or utility patent. So really being hands-on with these attorneys has been integral and been so exciting. We also interacted a lot with one from an operating agreement standpoint. Um, So really even getting that exposure to startup law, um, really, again, bringing all the things that I think I want to do together. Well, I have to check myself because I think I've said the name backwards at least once or twice in the context of our interview this afternoon. Uh, so maybe consider that uh, reversal as part of your uh, further <laughs> trademark suit. Make sure you're, you're fully covered against all possible uh, competitors. Don't listen to Jason. You're fine. <laughs> it's a tangler angler to the day you die. All right. To the day we die. Yeah, and no, I'll let you know how that trademark search goes with Wrangler Tangler. Uh, I'm sure Amazon hasn't come up with something yet. So. Our eyes are, um, our eyes are peeled. Our eyes are. I'm peeled. curious. 
I'm curious if you uh, if you were to give one piece of advice each uh, to a person who's you know a couple of years uh, behind you. You know they're they're about to do something similar. They've got an idea. Um, what 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 skill should they pick up? What uh, what type of networks should they look for? What what type of people should they uh, they they add to their team? What if bit well, like just just one nugget of insight from each of you would be uh, really delightful. Really, the partnership between David and I has been amazing. I work. I think we work very well together. If I do say so myself. So finding someone that you don't mind pulling an all nighter with is really what's needed in the startup world. Um, at least for me, telling my parents I was going to do a startup, they were like, what's that? And why does it not make a lot of money? <laughs> so really breaking that down um, and not being afraid to actually do something outside of your comfort zone, especially with Tangler Angler has been amazing. And maybe they don't get it quite yet, but maybe they will soon. So, <laughs> so like I heard the, uh, you know, find David, uh, good, good call. But then also I think uh, <laughs> get good at, at selling the idea of hope in, uh, in a startup, right? Like there's, this is what life is about, you know, uh, so that your parents can buy it, buy in. I, yes. I love it. <laughs> David, what about you? I, I and you're completely... not, now that she said it, you're not allowed to say find a one. Well, I, I do completely agree with, with one. <laughs> and I think finding people that compliment you and, do do the things that you're not good at yourself is is huge because you're just that much stronger as a team. But I would also say like not being afraid to reach out and ask. So whether that be asking the people at um, who have the 3D printer if you can use it to just asking a company, hey, what's what's your quoting process like? How much is it going to cost to do this? Or do you have any feedback on this prototype? So just not being afraid to get outside of your comfort zone, get outside of your box, and talk to folks and you never know what you're going to learn. You'd never know what someone's background is. You never know who you're going to meet um, at a, at a barbecue. So it's perfect. Um, all the things that you can, all the things that you can learn just by getting outside of your own head and your own little bubble. I think your point about um, successful partnerships requiring that uh, the two parties compliment each other. I mean, I compliment Charlie constantly. I'm, I'm always <laughs> telling him how good he looks and, what a Look at that haircut. Jason in that haircut. I'm telling you. Yes. Well, this has been really great. Love all the insights you've had to share. As our audience wants to track your progress and hear how you are doing, where can they find you? Where should they look up? Ooh, tanglerangler.com and Tangler Wrangler on LinkedIn made it really easy for everyone. Fantastic. Listen, we wish you guys all success. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us today um, and looking forward to hearing great things from uh, where you go from here. Thank you. Our pleasure. So much fun to talk to you guys today. And we're back. Um, Charlie, I really enjoyed that conversation that we just had. I thought there's a lot of good little nuggets that came out from speaking to two folks who are doing the work, being entrepreneurs, starting a business. It's not a perspective that we always uh, get. It's inspiring, man. I mean, I, I just, I, I love the energy. I love the, I love the use of technology throughout, uh, and just being super open, not having any of the baggage of traditional, uh, manufacturing or anything like that. And just sort of like, like I said, using the, the latest and greatest to get something out there is, 
uh, is an exciting thing for me. One of the things that we talked about was the role that 3D printing played in their process. We talked a little about the idea of access to 3D printing. And I just wanted to mention that very luckily for me, where I live, our local public library has a 3D printer. Uh, yeah. And there's actually this uh, software program called Tinkercad uh, that kids can go on. They can design something, figure out how to make it, you know, 3D modelable, and then sign on at the library and actually get experience firsthand, you know, printing something with a 3D printer. So I've been super enthused with the extent to which access really is becoming a little bit more widespread. That's absolutely right. Like, I mean, so I, I do a lot of 3D printing, as you know, but I don't know if our listeners know. Uh, it's a big passion for me. I have... Uh, a 3D, 3D printer. I have a Prusa Mark III, if for those who are uh, in the know. Um, haven't made the jump to any of the latest uh, models yet, but um, uh, and it's it's super affordable. We're talking hundreds to a thousand dollars for for really high quality things at home. And then like uh, like you said, Jason, my um, my library just down the street, uh, you can print uh, whatever you like. They they'll supply all the filament uh, and whatnot. If you want to do that, uh, and they charge a really, really minimal fee for basically mm -hmm. managing machines and providing all the stuff. And, and I think historically the big problem with 3d printing is, um, it's just, it, and it still isn't, uh, something that it's not like your, your, your printer that you print, you know, 2d, I don't know, these, these plain vanilla 2d printers, you know, <laughs> on, on a piece of paper, like those, uh, comparatively are very turnkey, even though we all are tired of the paper jams and the whatnot. Um, the, the 3d printing world has been generally marked as a thing that uh, necessitates more expert skill and is not accessible to the average person just yet. That's changing pretty rapidly, uh, especially with the costs going, going, going down so quickly. Yep. Yep. The other part that I found really interesting in the conversation we had today was David and Lauren talking about the process that they've gone through to try and find like their mass production solution. And I don't want to take anything away from their lived experience in terms of finding success, uh, seeking out overseas partners. But I feel a little bit compelled to share that. I mean, just this week, I went to a event um, here in the Northeast uh, led by an organization called Forge. You can find them at forgeimpact.org. And what they specifically do is try and help entrepreneurs um, and innovators navigate this journey from prototype to having a commercialized product. And they're specifically focused on trying to increase access to manufacturing partners here in the Northeast on shore who can service these and partner with these uh, innovators and entrepreneurs to get from that prototype to commercialization and do it here locally. So I think there's a lot of efforts and initiatives uh, to kind of look at uh, bringing back and nearshoring uh, a lot of these manufacturing options. And um, I think it's going to continue to be like a varied landscape over the next couple of years. Uh, but I'm encouraged to know that there's organizations out there that are trying to find a way to put innovators in touch with the manufacturing partners locally who can help them, you know, find success. I think, I, I think technology is the way that that's going to be possible, right? Yeah. Like everything that took, you know, that takes lots of hands to accomplish a task it is going to, you know, other countries are going to do much better uh, than the U S on in the, in that world, but technology sort of like helping single person do so much more 
uh, can really bring some of this manufacturing uh, and, and production back into uh, you know domestic hands, which is awesome. I mean, that's a lot of times we worry about the loss of jobs and various other things, but think about what if this uh, if the manufacturing market could be be brought home more. We just do more here uh, on our soil. I think that's uh, that's sort of the the positive upside of all of this, where we we normally kind of spend our time thinking about the doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. Any other takeaways for you from our from our chat? What's the um, I think the uh, like they were sort of saying uh, access to uh, to the the variety of support that one needs to 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 get these things off the ground. It's it's just useful to highlight those complexities and these and these folks haven't even gotten fully through the manufacturing and just like the production and manufacturing distribution of, of the product uh, and they already have had to have just an amazing network of, of people and so like you said community and and access is a big part of all of this and so I um, I really do think that um, they they're part of an awesome network there uh, at, the, uh, at Notre Dame uh, big shout outs to what they're doing um, that's that's amazing, but I think that that those types of communities do exist throughout the the United States, and people should be um, be looking for things like you brought up Forge, and I, I think there's there's a multitude of other ones, um, but that's the that's the sort of like that's what's necessary uh, to be able to take these things all the way. It's it's easy to say, but I have a 3D printer on my shelf, uh, I can make one. Yeah, but at, try making tens of thousands of them. Uh, you're, it's going to, you're going to cripple under the weight of it all. Uh, and it's not going to, um, it's not going to bear financial fruit for you and you're going to work your tail off. Uh, so I really like the story they told there. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. I enjoyed it too. Should we do our regular weekly segments of, uh, what did we ask generative AI this week? I feel like it's time. You, you bet. Uh, I've got a, I've got a reasonably, uh, I don't know, uh, thing that was interesting to me. Um, and so I'll, I'll start if that's all right. Uh, I, this, so we're in a performance review season uh, at TXI and I, I manage a bunch of folks. And so I am one to write a bunch of uh, performance reviews. And so I said to one of my direct reports, I said, I'm going to try writing your, uh, your review with ChatGPT. And so I, I literally took all of the feedback that was produced uh, on on the person, I jammed it in, and I said, "Here's our our, our template for our 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 um, our, our review. Uh, write me a review for this person." Um, and here's the insight: it it did a great job of synthesizing that feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, brilliant, right? Like even it's it is uh, as well written as you could imagine. And it was complete garbage. It was useless uh, to, and I couldn't, there was no way I could submit the, that to that person as their review. And what I realized is this was yet, it was just, just like a really crystallizing piece of what AI can do and what AI cannot do is that there is a thing that I am doing as his manager, right? Not everything is written. Uh, the the areas of future focus that can that you can kind of bring as insight, that actual insight uh, is it wasn't there. Uh, it was just um, is really just taking that data and making it um, concise was what it what it, the the effort that it did, and that's different from what a lot of us do in these types of moments. And 
I think the, the the big conversation at large is is you know very doom and gloom. AI is going to take over the world and whatever. And this was a, a crystallizing moment for a thing that I hear a lot, which is that we we really should be thinking about these tools as uh, as assistance, AI assistance. They are not taking over our our mental uh, workload. They're taking over tasks. Um, and I don't know. I chose to feel great about that. Uh, I think the the great lesson is that there's there's no replacement yet for the insight and the connection of multiple data points that can like draw on your lived experience as a manager of that individual uh, that needs to kind of go into that review and make all those um, data points uh, relevant and impactful. So that's. That is quite a good learning. What about you? On my side, um, I kind of went back to my old approach of, you know, how can ChatGPT uh, be my tutor? Um, and the thing that I needed to get smart on last week was how do I negotiate a new car lease? Um, I think I told you a little bit about this process that I was going through. I um, unfortunately uh, lost the car that I was very fond of due to a small accident. And Rest I I had to go through the process of starting a new lease. So I was actually really impressed. Um, I went to the chat BT after I'd done a lot of like typical Google searching and checking out YouTube and all those types of things. And when I asked it, what are some good strategies for negotiating a new car lease? It gave me like a really nice synthesis of all the different points that I had found through a lot more quote unquote legwork of searching and, and reading articles. It was beautifully concise. Um, the, key point uh, that I learned in my process was, you know, asking about the money factor, negotiating the money factor, um, which for our audience who's not gone through this process is basically, you know, lingo for the uh, interest rate uh, on your lease, on your lease payment. Um, and I got some great tips from ChatGPT on like how uh, you can negotiate the money factor, things to ask, how far to push it. So again, uh, I continue to just find it to be like a really great uh, tutor and a way of kind of getting smart uh, and getting simplified clarity around concepts that can feel a little bit um, amorphous or challenging or like they're multifaceted uh, and allows me to kind of get like a real digested understanding of it very practically. Yeah. I like, I, I, the, I hear the story frequently that it's, it, there's just no judgment in this tutor. Uh, and that's the, that, that, that's the amazing thing is for, in this case, no money at all. Uh, you got someone to teach you something and there was no ego involved. You could just ask again and again and again, and like, you know, just keep, keep rolling through it. And that's, there are so many things in my life that I need that. Uh, right. And especially these things that you are only necessarily going to need to be expert at for a very specific period of time. And then maybe not again for a couple of years, right? It's a, it's a good way to kind of try and find a way, condense that knowledge and, and get it plowed into your brain relatively quickly. So I found that, I found that pretty helpful. You gave me an idea of, of something that I need. I need a new, uh, I need a new air conditioner. And, uh, so I, I got to skill up on air AC real quick. I'm going to go. chat GPT. There you go. All right. Well, I think we should end it on that note. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. So you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Our ambition is to continue to cover the important topics and trends shaping industrial innovation from manufacturing to supply chain. We'll see you next time on The Modern Industrialist.